movies, music, television, and more. This is Entertainment. 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 Rebooted. Only on WZIP. Hello everyone, my name is Ella Mitchell and you're listening to Entertainment Rebooted and today I'll be covering my top five movies of 2023, my bottom five movies of 2023, and the five movies I'm most excited for going into 2024. So without further ado, we'll probably start with my wall of shame with the bottom five movies from this year. Holding our unfavorable um, bottom five spot, I have the Super Mario Brothers movie and admittedly, I really liked this movie when I first saw it, but looking back on it in comparison to um, the FNAF movie that released later this year, I feel a little cheated by it. Um, The film just felt a little too illumination for me at times and just felt a little childish, which I feel like is just kind of silly to say about a Mario movie, but I don't know. I just wasn't very thrilled by some of the choices in the film, especially with the voice acting. I think Chris Pratt as Mario and Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach were not the greatest picks out there. Um, Compared to people such as, like, Jack Black or Charlie Day, like, it was just embarrassing how little effort they put into their characters, which is so sad seeing it, seeing that it is, um, you know, the Mario franchise like you need really engaged voice actors behind these very iconic characters and just they weren't holding up to that expectation I guess and it really just took me out of that I also just think the movie just had a little too much going on for it um other than that I think the animation was pretty good I will say I think it's probably Illumination's best work yet which isn't saying much because they don't really have I guess, a reputation for putting out good good films. I mean, clearly the star of this movie was Jack Black as Bowser. I think he was born for this role. He put his heart and soul into the role. Peaches is a very fun and silly, memorable song. Other than that, like his performance and the animation, I can't think of much else to save it. And also, where was Yoshi? Like, how can you have a Mario movie and not have Yoshi in it? As a huge Yoshi fan, I was very upset by that. And... Yeah, Illumination needs to give me some answers for that. Going down the list, um, for number four, I have the White Men Can't Jump remake. And just as a disclaimer, I've never seen the original, so I don't have too much of a comparison for it. And I kind of half-watched this movie, but its poor quality just really stood out to me. It was just very jarring. The comedy in this film is very hit or miss but the drama is particularly bad, mostly because um, Jack Harlow, who plays one of the leads, honestly, I forget his name, he's just not the best actor, and he's just not very convincing for these more serious moments in the film, and it really hurts these dramatic scenes. Like, yeah, he'll have, like, a silly one-liner every now and then, but during some of these more poignant scenes, just kind of like, I can't take you seriously because this is Jack Harlow saying this, you know? Which, like, really just makes me question whether or not I really support celebrities just, you know, jumping headfirst into acting roles. You know, like, sometimes it works and sometimes you have um, a Jack Harlow situation. Again, it was just hard to stay invested in this already, you know, I'm doing chores as I watch this film with Jack Harlow just being Jack Harlow. I mean, I don't really know. I was never really on the Jack Harlow hype train, so maybe this is also contributing to my scathing review of his performance in this already very um, forgettable film. 
So I'm Jack Harlow. If you're listening to this at any point, I'm sorry that I woke up this morning and decided to be a hater. Um, yeah, I, I mean it out of love. Um, anywho, for our number three pick, I was really disappointed by this movie, um, 65, because this movie seemed so cool to me. Science fiction, check. Alien dinosaur things, check. Adam Driver, okay, like, I can get on board with this. I love Adam Driver. I love dinosaurs. And, like, it just seemed like a recipe for a film I would love. Like, the name Ella Mitchell was all over it. You know, was so excited to watch this with my mom. Until the movie was just a total snooze fest. And even my mom, like, commented on that. And, like, my mom was the type of person to just, like, sit down and watch a movie and be like, oh, like, that was really good, you know? Um which probably made 65 my biggest disappointment of the year because I feel like the next two dishonorable mentions I'm going to talk about were pretty doomed from the get-go, but, like, this had some promise behind it. The concept seemed really cool. Um, I believe Sam Raimi was also the director, and I think he's pretty cool. Adam Driver had a pretty decent performance. I think he's had better than other films, but, like, it's pretty hard to make something out of nothing, and this film was just a lot of nothing, which is very upsetting. Onto my... Number two, Wall of Shame pick, Wish, the newest Disney animated film. This film was just very forgettable for me, which is very shocking and I guess kind of alarming since this pick and my number one pick are both really awful looks on Disney and I can't help but wonder what their end goal is since they keep putting out mediocre garbage after mediocre garbage for their audiences and their audiences are really starting to pick up on this and they don't seem very happy with it. I think the biggest thing with this film is just that everything felt weirdly AI generated like everything from the character designs the animation especially to the script and the songwriting especially the villain songs it just felt like Someone was, like, typing in the chat GBT and just said, like, oh, make me a Lin-Manuel Miranda song. And then the Disney execs were like, oh, yeah, this sounds good. We'll run with it. But, like, the song wasn't good at all and they shouldn't have ran with it. But I digress. I think another thing that probably bothers me about this film is I think this was, like, the 100 years of Disney, like, big celebration film. And it's just, like, you know, we waited 100 years for something as bland and uninspired as this. This just felt, you know, like a far cry of what Disney animation used to be and what it could be. But again, before I move on to our number one pick, this is just an overall very uninspired film from a chronically uninspired company lately. And Disney really needs to clean up their act because even the biggest of Disney fans seem upset by this release. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't want to upset a Disney adult. That just seems like an accident waiting to happen. And finally, for our most dishonorable film of the year, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. This movie was terrible. Um, This was a very early release in the year. I want to say, like, either late January, early February. This was my first theater experience of the year, and wow, it was not a good one. Um... My my one note for this was, like, this movie was so bad, and it made me hate every minute of my viewing experience. And, yeah, I feel like just across the board, people just hated this film. Admittedly, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, because I just think all the Marvel movies have, like, went down the drain in terms of quality. But I'm just very over all these multiverse MCU releases. I think they're all very awful, uninspired, and overbloated. The MCU, in my opinion, has become incredibly lazy with their latest films, and I think the last good release would be Guardians 3, which I believe also came out this year. 
But then we have James Gunn jumping ship to DC, so, like, who knows if that spark of goodness will remain lit. Only time will tell, I guess. I just feel like the storylines and the way Disney is presenting these storylines just aren't working. For one, I think audiences are just very, um, fatigued by the constant MCU releases. You know, like, do we really need four to five MCU films in one year? Do we really need one to two MCU TV shows in one year? Probably not. I feel like people are getting very tired of it, but what do I know? I'm not an MCU executive. And I think the other reason why these storylines aren't working is because, like, I shouldn't have to watch five movies and two television series to understand what's happening in an Ant-Man film. You know, like, let's be real here, it's Ant-Man. It shouldn't, you know, be this whole, like, task to, like, understand his lore and everything. Like, it's a guy who shrinks and can get big, you know? Um, Like, I remember the one um, post-credit scene. I was just kind of, like, I watched this with my friend, and I was like, so, like, I was just like, what was that, like, end credit about? Like, everyone was, like, hooting and hollering over it, and I was just like, what? He was like well, if you didn't watch this one TV series, like, you wouldn't understand it. And it's just, like, it just seems so lazy to me because why do I need to watch all, like, a plethora of these other releases just to understand this one little minute detail? They just seem a little too over-reliant on one another. Um, aside from that little rant, this is easily some of the worst visual effects of the year. Um, in the year 2023, why does every shot look like something straight out of Spy Kids? I mean... I think it's just embarrassing at this point that the MCU just gets increasingly worse VFX. And I think it just needs to be fixed because, like, it's just inexcusable at this point. Because, like, I, when I was, like, briefly scrolling through the movie, just, like, picking out, like, scenes and stuff and being like, ooh, this is awful, it just didn't age well at all. And the film was not even, like, a year old yet, which is terrible but yeah I just felt like every scene was competing to be uglier than the last which is not a very good look for a film and just overall I just think the film was just very uninteresting with an uninteresting villain who was killed by a bunch of ants which is just a very boring way to go out um and just the character ensemble too just very terrible acting and connections between one another and just another I guess chronic MCU film issue is just do we really need a one-liner every scene? Like, I think they need to balance the humor and drama more to, like, really make these films poignant for their audiences. But again, what do I know? I'm not an MCU exec, but that's my wall of shame. So if you guys ever see these films, I guess just, like, have tomatoes at the ready every time a, a particularly bad VFX effect shows up in Ant-Man, just start throwing tomatoes at your screen. I think that would make the viewing experience a little little more fun. But now for my top five films, so we'll get into the fun stuff. So for my fifth favorite film of the year, I have Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Typical of Wes Anderson, just another charming little film, beautiful set design, powerful imagery. I just really love the themes that it explored, such as like uncertainty, just kind of just feeling small in the world slash the universe, and just like you know, like, loving everyone while still persisting through hardships. It was all just very moving for me at the time of watching it, and I think a lot of others really, I guess, felt that sentiment. It was, I don't know, it was just very heartwarming for me, and I really liked watching it. Just both a whimsical and existential film. Like, I really love the vulnerability that Wes Anderson presents in this movie, which 
I felt like was something that was missing in the French Dispatch, which was his previous release. Anderson really honed in on just the vulnerability of things, and I think that's what really makes this film stand out. Another fun thing is that there's a fun little alien guy in this movie, which is an instant win in my book. So if you ever want to make a movie to appeal to me, just add in a silly little alien guy, and I'll instantly love it. Anywho, my fourth favorite film of the year would probably be Five Nights at Freddy's. And like I was saying with the Mario movie, I think FNAF did a wonderful job of capturing the charm of the game, as well as capturing the love of the fandom, um, which was just really fun to watch in a theater. And like, you could just tell that the project just oozed love and respect for the property it was adapting, which, you know, is always great to see, especially for someone like me who, I guess, lived through, like, the birth and the boom of Five Nights at Freddy's in our current popular culture. Um, there's just a lot of really heartfelt callbacks to the fandom and a lot of fun Easter eggs, which I saw the film, I think, three or four times, and just every watch, watch, um, I, like, notice something new, and it's just, like, really fun to, like, check that out. Um, I think also that Matthew Lillard as, um, Springtrap and Josh Hutcherson as Mike were both wonderful performances and I was so excited to see them back on the screen and I think they had a lot of great chemistry together and I'm very excited to see what they're up to next because I think there's already a sequel to this movie in pre-production so yeah we'll see where that goes. Lastly I think the animatronic designs were beautiful, amazing, show-stopping, stunning, etc etc. I'm so so happy that they were practical effects um I just think they looked so much more authentic. Um, the suits, which I believe were created by the Jim Henson Company, just looked amazing, and they were just a true testament as to why you should always try to prioritize a practical effect over um, just like CGI or mocap. You know, like it just it really shows in these films. But yeah, overall, FNAF was just a very heartfelt film and fun film to watch. So just check it out if you have not yet seen it my third favorite film of the year would be Barbie. So I think this is just, um, I guess, agreeable across the board, but this is probably the biggest pop culture moment of the year, and I think that's for good reason. Um, Barbie, I guess just in every sense of the word, is very iconic and well-deserving of its praise and its status in our current culture. I mean, like, once it released, like, you couldn't escape, like, Ken and all the silly little antics being turned into memes, just all the all the songs being used for like TikToks and stuff like just as soon as like Barbie released just bam it was just cemented into our culture which is which like is it still is today like it hasn't faded off like unlike Oppenheimer like I feel like once Oppenheimer released it just kind of faded out but Barbie's still here I think Barbie's here to stay I think like this movie does have tons of staying power has a lot of rewatchability like it's just very heartwarming funny and poignant um Admittedly, I'm still a little undecided on how I feel about this film being this feminist manifesto that some hype it up to be, but I think there's a lot of good messaging to build off here, and I think this can really open up opportunities for similarly forward-thinking films, which, you know, that's always great. Um, aside from that, I think this film had gor gorgeous set design. Just everything felt just very magical, especially in Barbie Land. Like, I felt like I was just like, sitting in front of like you know my barbie dream house flinging my barbies all around putting them in cars and whatnot which was always very cool 
Um, lastly, like, I think the cast for this film was perfect. I think Margot and Ryan were born for these roles, and I think everyone across the board can agree with that, especially for Ryan Gosling as Ken. Um, I'm really hoping he w- gets that nomination for, um, I want to say, Best Supporting Actor. I think he really deserves it. He was just a silly little guy, and we all love silly little guys. But, yeah, that's Barbie. Um, I mean, I feel like with Barbie, everything that can be said about it has already been said about it. But, I mean, I loved it. I think everyone else should love it. So, check it out if you have not yet. My second favorite film of the year was... But this was a surprising one, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Um, I was never a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan growing up, but I was always, like, passively interested in it. You know, um, I remember the show being on Nickelodeon. I remember the really weird Michael Bay adaptation. I was like, oh, like, you know, like, these little turtle turtle guys, they're pretty cool, but I don't know. But... I think what really drew me to this film, which is kind of silly to admit, but, like, I'm a huge fan of Nine Inch Nails, and I saw on Twitter that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross were doing the score for it, which, like, made me scratch my head, because I was like, hmm, them, them scoring a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film seems a little odd, but, I mean, I'll check it out. Why not? You know, the score being composed by them initially drew me in, but then once I saw the trailer and heard, like, A Tribe Called Quest, Can I Kick It in the background, I was like, like, this is awesome. And then the whole art direction, which was the um, hybrid animation, with which is similar to, like, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, or the recent Spider-Verse films, it just looked so, like, beautiful. It felt like something out of a sketchbook. Like, I loved the roughness of it just how the animation really added to the grungy feel of New York City, and, like, I feel like this might come across as, like, a backhanded compliment, but, like, I really enjoyed how ugly some of the mutants looked. Like, they felt like mutants, which was really nice, rather than just, like, little action figure people, if that makes sense, but I just thought, like, the art in this was amazing, and I had to go follow the, um, lead designer on Instagram, so shout out to Woodrow White, it's pretty awesome. His art's really cool. Like, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with, like, everything in this film. I just felt like if there was a movie for me, it would be this. Like, overall, I just thought this film was very just funny and heartwarming. Um, the turtles felt like teenagers in this film, which I feel like some past installments in this franchise really struggled with. So I think just watching them, you know, like banter back and forth is just pretty engaging and funny. I think all of the turtles, especially some of the side characters like um, Splinter, had very captivating arcs and just like really cute interactions with one another, which made just everyone very lovable in the film and just you really wanted to root for everyone. Um, But all around, there's just a lot of great characters and a lot of great moments in this film. Sure, some people might find it to be a little juvenile, but like, I mean, for what it's worth, I think it was funny. I thought moments of it were cute. But I think my standouts in this film were as Jackie Chan as the overprotective Splinter and Ice Cube as the terrifying Superfly. They're both pretty awesome roles. They're both really awesome characters. So yes, please check out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And now, drumroll please, my top movie of the year, which would be pretty unsurprising if you know me, but my top pick would be Godzilla Minus One. I say this, and, like, I'm, like, looking at my shirt since I'm wearing a Godzilla hoodie as I'm recording this, so this might seem very biased, but, like, wow, this movie was, like, in every sense of the word, amazing, and just was really something special. A monster fan or not, 
you need to like run the theaters right now and see this film um admittedly i don't want to get too much into things since i think this only released within the last month so i don't want to get like spoilery or anything so if this is piquing your interest i highly encourage you to go see it like you won't regret it. This movie was very gut-wrenching, and I'm just, I'm unafraid to admit that this film made me cry like a little baby. I think with the um, American releases in the Godzilla franchise, like the MonsterVerse, I think they struggle with creating um, compelling drama, especially with the human characters, whereas this film really hits the nail on the head. You know, like, wow, this is some really captivating stuff between our human side characters. Like, it was like, some parts of it were just gut-wrenching. It was just sad to watch. I also think this film just does an amazing job of reinventing some parts in the franchise, especially the connection between Godzilla and the humans he interacts with, um, which I felt was something that needed to be done, as sometimes with more recent Godzilla films, this relationship kind of gets muddled, and it needed to be cleared up a bit. Um, so I think this film does a great job of just reestablishing that boundary between these two forces. I think a lot of times when people like talk about this film, they're like, they have to compare it to Shin Godzilla. Will I say it's better than Shin Godzilla? I don't know. Cause it's like, why should we pit two amazing movies against one another? They're both equally awesome in their own ways and add a lot to this already iconic franchise. But Without getting too much into things, since I don't want to be spoilery, I just thought that this film was just overall a great throwback to the original heart of these films, while also being a very powerful and poignant reinvention of the franchise. Kaiju fan or not, please see this movie. This is easily the best blockbuster of 2023, and it deserves all the roses. It is being thrown its way, so please go see Godzilla Minus One. Thank you. So now with our bottom and top five getting out of the way, um, just a brief little section on releases I'm anticipating for 2024 since there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out. So my fifth anticipated release would be Alien Romulus. While I'm a little conflicted on how I feel about the recent Alien movies, since sometimes I get a little convoluted and weird, I'm just like, what's going on here, guys? I can't say that I'm not curious about them, since I do think there are some shining moments in them. Um, I'm sure there will be something of worth in this film, which could be worth checking out. I also just really love the xenomorph. Like, I'll always be seated in a theater to see a freaky little alien kill people. It's just very fun and cathartic for me, I guess. Um, <laughs> my fourth anticipated release would be Kung Fu Panda 4, which is, looking at this now, um, is kind of funny. 4 and 4. Um... Myself, and I guess many others, really enjoy this um, franchise from DreamWorks. I think it's probably their strongest next to Shrek. Um, I'm very excited for this film, but I'm very skeptical about Aquafina as one of the leads. I just don't think she has much voice acting talent, and I just find her to be very samey with all of her roles. Maybe she'll hone in on things here, maybe she'll lock in. Who's to say? Aside from this, I'm very excited to see the new villain, which is a chameleon who can, like, transform into other people, which is really exciting and cool. Um, also, the return of Tai Lung, who I believe is the villain from the first film. So, it seems it seems very promising, and I think this will be a great addition to a already well-loved and established franchise, so I can't wait. 
My third anticipated film would be the Nosferatu quote-unquote adaptation by Robert Eggers. I don't think he wants to call it an adaptation, maybe like a reimagining. I don't know. Sometimes film directors are weird like that. But I think Eggers did a wonderful job with The Witch and The Lighthouse. So I think adapting this film just seems very natural for the aesthetic and the um, topics of his film. So like I saw that, I was like, that's totally his wheelhouse. This will be amazing. Um, I think he'll do a great job of reimagining this horror icon. And I can't wait to see this during the 2024 holiday season. Because when I was looking this up, it's slated to release on Christmas. So that would be pretty cool to watch. My second most anticipated film would be Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. I really love the Mad Max um, franchise. I easily think it's some of the most thrilling and oddly beautiful action films out there. Um, George Miller does an, an incredible job with creating these films. Like, as I'm, like, speaking right now, I'm just, like, reimagining, like, all these different scenes from, I don't, from Mad Max Fury Road. I forget when it was released, but just such an awesome film. Please see it if you have not. I mean, I just think this would be an incredibly awesome movie centered around a really awesome character. And if it's anything like Mad Max Fury Road, George Miller is promising a lot of excitement and a really interesting release. And my top most anticipated film, which, again, probably not surprising for those who know me, um, would be Godzilla and Kong The New Empire. So... Again, unsurprising, but I keep seeing leaks for this film on various Godzilla accounts that I follow on Instagram. Dorky, I know, but things seem pretty interesting from what I've been seeing on these accounts. Overall, um, I just think exploring the relationship between Kong and Godzilla is always fun to watch, and I'm sure this movie will offer tons of great moments between the two. And I also think the concept of exploring and investigating the Hollow Earth is something really cool and this that seems to be the central focus of this upcoming film so perhaps we'll see some new kaiju inhabiting this world only time will tell but i'm very excited to watch that film which i believe releases april 12th as well as these other films and i hope you guys probably check them out too hope i did a great job at advertising them to you um so the marketing teams for these movies feel free to hire me i would love to talk about these really cool films but yeah, that was my bottom five of 2023, my top five of 2023, and things that I think will be cool for 2024. That's all for today. Thank you for tuning in to Entertainment Rebooted, and I'll chat with you guys next time.